Wow, what a week this week for me. It's been really kind of a little different. These happen occasionally as the years go by in ministry. We continue to struggle with and on behalf of and in intercession for Billy Vihi. Sally has been up there now most of the last 10 days. We've been praying her into heaven and she just won't go. We were laughing about that yesterday as I visited with them and she was laughing about it too. Didn't know why she couldn't get out of here. But the Lord knows his time will come soon when the time is right. Yesterday I was also in another place I pastored leaving in 1996 because I'd received a call from a funeral director uh, from that same city a few days before telling me that uh, someone I'd known back then had passed away and I'd been gone like for 18 years. So I was first of all surprised that that person was calling me to come in and do a funeral. Uh, but of course when they call I usually come if there's any way to do that. Um, so I did that again. And as I got there, I was convinced and convicted to go on farther to Paris and see Sally. They had been gone for about three days and nights with her friend. So I took another hour's drive farther north and got myself almost in Oklahoma. Heaven forbid that I should end up there. Now, if you're from Oklahoma, just be calm. I'll, I'll make fun of Texas in a minute. Hang on. But the reality was it was a good drive, a, a time when uh, I could worship one of the good things about getting up in northeast Texas is you lose most radio stations. So you got to go to the satellite, which puts me on Christian music, and I just chilled out. It was a good time. I also stopped by that day before to visit a, another friend who's knocking on heaven's door, but not imminently. And she had let it be known. You know, people are so coy, uh, especially with pastors gone. She would really like to see me, she told someone who she knows would tell someone who would tell me. And so, yes, that's, you get the picture. I'm not whining. Don't, don't ever mistake me sharing with you for whining. But each of those persons are in a different place. The woman in the hospital who's not near to dying was just wanting to see me because she was feeling pretty low about her illness and just needed to talk. So we talked for a while. The other person that I went to see that Sally's with knows her time is very near and imminent and is not running from it in any way. And trusts her Lord and is ready to make that journey. And we prayed as we, as I got ready to leave them there that she would uh, just hold on to the hand that had been leading her all along and finish that journey when the time was right and to be confident that God would be there. But when I went to the funeral for one of these friends I'd known, this was one of those kind of church members that is so typical in many churches uh, many United Methodist churches. He was a believer. He had been saved. He knew the Lord. But when I was there during those five or so years that I was at that congregation, he was a there. We had a good relationship, but it wasn't a very deep relationship, or uh, he wasn't integrally involved in a lot of the church at that particular time in his life, though he could have been. He was a typical Christian who was enjoying his salvation in retirement but had kind of retired from some of his other things in life as well, including his work at the church. So he kind of came when he could, which wasn't as often as it should have been. Now, that didn't prevent me from telling his one grandchild and his children, who were there in spirit only because he only had one child who had died in the mid-'70s, that he was in heaven and would be waiting there for him. For you see, I knew he was a believer. 
But I knew the process of sanctification or becoming more holy, the full work of salvation, the ongoing work of salvation, had really never completed its work in that person to the extent that it could have. I say that so that you understand when we talk about salvation in Wesleyan terms, we're talking about salvation that has occurred in our past. We're talking about salvation that is ongoing in our lives. We're even talking about the final redemption of glorification when we are completely saved in heaven with God. And oftentimes, toward our later years, hopefully, that salvation of the sanctifying grace of God that lets us and helps us to do the things we intend to do and not do the things we intend not to do that we call perfect salvation, fullness of salvation, perfecting grace. And even though we'll never be completely perfect in the, West, in the uh, Webster's sense of the word, we can become perfect in the sense that John Wesley taught it, which is one of the things I'll be teaching in that class on Methodism or the doctrine of entire sanctification. Let me give you an example of what entire sanctification is not. Last Sunday, in my moment of preaching, you know I always bring notes, so you, you'll know that I worked on something, even if I have to go get Owens and pull them out at home. Uh, but... Uh, that doesn't mean I always stick with my notes, you know by now. And last week, I was uh, preaching along with the Lord, and I, I got convicted to say something about something, and I said it poorly. I talked about being opposed to uh, test tube babies. Well, it didn't take me long for someone to knock on my door after the service was over and said, just what did you mean by that? And one look at the person who was telling me that, and it immediately flashed in my mind exactly why that person was asking that question. I said, what did I say? And she looked at me a little strangely, like, uh, you're the one that said it, don't you remember? <laughs> and the answer to that was, if I really want to know for sure what I said, I go back and listen to the tape, too, in the office, because I get a blank after worship. Don't ask me why, it's just the way it is. But uh, I did go back, and, and she soon told me, I said, I bet I said this, didn't I? And she said, yes. And I said, I didn't mean what you're thinking I meant, though. She said, well, I didn't think you did. I want to give you the chance to say it. Bless her heart. And I mean that sincerely. Because I never want you to leave here thinking I said something I didn't say. Because it is possible of a slipping tongue. I know this will come as a shock to you, but I'm human. And, e and even when I'm inspired by the Spirit, I'm human. I make mistakes. Words slip out. I was, I was talking about this thing called cloning. I was not talking about the help we get from doctors with test tubes and other things to have children. I have a beautiful granddaughter uh, who... Sees, received some doctor's help along the way, and my mother told me they dug me out of her like I was an old rock when I was born. And if I hadn't had those doctors doing that thing, I'd never been here, and y'all wouldn't have heard this sermon. So, you know, I am very much aware that I'm human, and the kind of perfection that we talk about in salvation is never the kind of human perfection that is without mistake or without error. It is always the kind of mistake that we make willfully. John Wesley called it intentional sin. Whenever we know what's right to do or not to do and we do it or don't do it anyway, that is the kind of sin that we can be perfected from. God can give us a pure and perfected heart so that we will make the right choice each and every time. You're probably thinking, I thought we were hearing a story this morning, and now you are. Because it's this story that explains what I'm talking about and our need for divine grace throughout our lives. It is this story that reminds us of why we need to be saved and continue to be saved. Because you see, once upon a time, long, long time ago, God was in the creating business in an amazing way. 
And he took some dirt from the ground and he fashioned one in the midst of his creation, even in his own image. And he took that image and called him man or Adam, which can mean mankind or it can mean an individual man as well or it can be a name for an individual. And he said that you should be called Adam, Adam, we would say. He said, you know, he liked Adam so well, he's so proud of what he'd done, and he put Adam, according to the second chapter of Genesis, into a garden that he made just for the man. And he said, here's this garden, and I'm putting you right there. And doesn't that feel good when God just puts you somewhere right where you're supposed to be? And he says, now, there's trees that are good for food, and you can eat whatever you want from all these trees. Basically, all you'd ever need, except, ooh, there's that except thing, Except on aisle nine, in the center of the garden, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. Don't eat from that tree, because if you do, you will surely die. But the rest of it is yours. And so, along the way, God looked at that poor old Adam struggling away in the garden, having a good time, and thought he needed a helpmate because it wasn't good for him to be alone. So God decided to bring all the beasts of the land and all the birds of the sky and let them pass before Adam and let Adam name them to see which one might be suitable for him as a helpmate. I get real nervous with this part of the story. I, I could have, instead of having Sally, I could have had, oh, so many creatures that I would have not enjoyed having as my mate nearly as much as I enjoyed having a woman. But that's the way the story goes, and people read that story and they just say, you can't really believe that story's true. Well, I can. You don't have to. I can. But you can believe the point it's making that it was not generally good for man to be alone, that he needed a helpmate. Most women will readily tell you that most men are incompetent and incapable on their own. I'm going to say it that direction, not the other way around, because I can argue with the men later. <laughs> the reality is most of us aren't very good alone in this world. And one of the things that God saw is that we needed a helpmate. And so he decided that none of the animals seemed to really attract Adam. So he put Adam to sleep, took a rib from his body, and fashioned it into a woman. And one professor said early on in seminary that well, that expression really should have been read. Wow, man, you know, not woman. Wow, man, he, she was different. And Adam got that right off. And unfortunately, we haven't really remembered it since as men. But uh, women are not like men in many kinds of ways, fortunately, most often. And in this case, he made this woman for Adam and put her in the garden with him. Then a funny thing happened along this story that's not so funny. And the reason we're here today is a serpent who was more crafty, the scripture tells us, than any other beast on the earth, approached the woman, saw her there in the garden, and as he came up to her, he, he looked at her and he said... Uh, did God really tell you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said, no, no. We can't eat fruit from all the trees except fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden or we can't even touch it or else we will die. The snake looked at her like if people looked at you probably and sitting on the, at a table around Bill with friends who are not always Christians and said, you won't surely die. That's not going to happen. God knows that the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's why God didn't want you to eat it. The woman saw that, you know, that, that fruit on the tree in the middle of the garden did really look good. It looked like a big 
bowl of grapes. <laughs> when you really want something sweet. God knows that you'll be like God. She looked at it again. You know, it was delightful to look at. In fact, it was desirable to make one wise. She took the fruit and she ate it. And she gave it to her husband and he ate it. And then the scripture says their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked for the first time. They scrambled around to find leaves, big leaves obviously, and made some type of covering for themselves to kind of hide what they had done. That's my addition to the story, not in scripture. Now that their eyes were open, one evening they heard God walking in the garden. Evidently it was commonplace for God to walk in the garden and visit with Adam, and now Adam and Eve, as her name would later be called. As God was walking around, he didn't see them. Adam, where are you? You know the game you play with your children when they're small? Miller, where are you? Laughing up a storm line right beside you with a sheet over his head. Where are you, Miller? Well, here's God walking down the garden. Adam, where are you? The man kind of timidly came out eventually and said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God looked at him, and I'm sure with a very deep sadness on his face, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten fruit from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man looked at God for about probably a split second, and he says, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit from that tree, and I ate it. What have you done? And the woman looked at him and said, that snake deceived me. You know, he, he just fooled me, and, and I did eat. And verse 13, it's just a paralyzing verse sort of at that point when you read it in Scripture. Let's just read it one more time. In the presence of all this that had been going on, in the presence of God Almighty, what is this? you have done that's what she told him the serpent I was tricked I was tempted it's not really my fault and then the Lord God said a series of things the first kind of things we hear in the scriptures in this story first of all he looked at the snake and said you know you're going to be cursed amongst all the beasts of the of the earth you're going to crawl on your belly and eat dust for your entire, entire life. And eventually the seed of the woman will crush your head, even though you will bruise her seed on the hill. And then he looked at the woman and he said, you're going to bear pain in childbirth. And yet your desire is going to be for a husband. 
and your husband will rule over you. And then he looked at Adam and he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from, I'm going to curse the ground and you're going to toil the rest of your life to make a living. And you shall die. And you shall return to the dust that I made you from. Then in a moment of sunlight in the midst of the darkness, God took animal skins and fashioned clothes for Adam and Eve. And then he took them out of the garden and left guard so that they could never come to the garden again. Intimacy had been broken. Commandment had been disobeyed. The relationship was shattered. Because of their rebellion and their lack of trust in God, they broke a commandment and decided to make their own decision, succumbing to the temptation and the choices of life, blaming others for their problems, and so made for us in the theological world forever a category that we Every seminarian has to explain as they begin their ministry, what is original sin? That's what it is in that story. You'll be shocked to know how many people in our earth today do not know what original sin is or why they need to be saved. I never will forget the day that young man who'd been raised in the chaplain, around chaplains all his life because his dad was in the military and he had heard sermon after sermon about your need to be saved. And he continued to hear them all his life as he made his progress through the church, but he never understood it. And when I went to visit them in their home, he asked me that question. People have been trying to tell me what it's meant all my life, and I don't get it. Saved from what? I'm not that bad a guy. And he wasn't, as men go. He wasn't all that bad. But the trouble was, he was just like me and just like you because he was just like Adam in that he wanted to be his own God. The idea to rebel and set ourselves as ruling our own life is inherent to every human being. Every person wants life on their terms. Every person wants to decide what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. They parade through my office all the years I've been in ministry, and in different ways at different times, people have said, you know, what's so bad about that? Everybody else is doing it. And my answer is always, well, they may all be doing it, but what did God say about that? Do you even know? Well, I know that the church, we get that tab, the church says, I shouldn't do this. But that's, you know, that's everybody's opinion, right? We all believe differently, right? Not exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. Not if we're Christian. We may have different ideas about theological terms. But if we're Christian, we all believe that we are all in need of saving. We have that in common. We believe that humanity, in the essence of itself, despite how high it might rise. It, how, how can I explain how high it might rise? Imagine me sitting up on a tall, high place. Don't I look like I'm living in grandeur. I don't know why they did away with all those pulpits that were up so high. You know, wouldn't that be special? Of course, you can't move around in one of those things or you fall off and break your neck. But, you know, just the idea of being high and lifted up, wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, the trouble with being high and lifted up is people see you 
clearly. And some people's, most of their spare time is spent watching the pastor, especially in small towns. I think that every retired woman, it was her duty to make sure the pastor was living purely. <laughs> Just saying. I've lived a life, it's interesting, and I've heard from many, many preachers who talk about it. It never bothered me, because right off the bat, you know, as for me, right when I got here, I said, I'm a sinner. Don't expect perfection. If you do, you'll just be disappointed. I make fun of myself all the time, because you see, I have to make fun of myself at times to be able to live with myself. I have to sing the song we sang to start off the service today, to live with myself. I know I've been saved. I know I've been saved. And when I look in the mirror and what I see aggravates me for the way I've behaved, it never makes me think I'm going to hell because I'm not. I don't know about you, but I'm, not, I'm going to heaven. I made that choice. I was saved from that a long time ago. But unfortunately, being saved in the past was only the beginning of the work. Because I'm going to always be human and make mistakes that I can't prevent from making because I'm human. I'll say things I didn't really communicate well and some people will think you must be a heretic and usually what they're accusing me of might be heretical but I didn't say exactly what I meant or they didn't hear exactly what I said or all that I said that that happens all the time happens to you too doesn't it when you're trying to explain faith to someone else it's hard but when you tell these kind of stories you help people make connection why do I need to be saved because we're all sinners we're all like Adam and we're all like Eve we all want to go to aisle nine and eat the un the forbidden fruit. We all want to. The first thing you know is when you tell a teenager something they can't do, well, guess what? Bad mistake, parents. I mean, you know, because it's just, well, it was for me, I'm sure not in our heavenly teenage group, but for me, when they said don't do it, I was like, hmm, don't do it. Must be good. After all, parents don't want us doing anything. They don't want us staying up late. They don't want us driving fast. They don't want us, hanging. you know, the parents are all about stuff we don't want us to do. So if they're telling me not to go to aisle nine, I wonder what's on aisle nine. It's such a temptation for almost all of us. I'm leaving room for a few saints who don't have much difficulty with temptation. You must be sitting quietly in your own home with the TVs off, not opening any mail not paying attention to what's going on in the world or watching your neighbor. Because otherwise, if you're engaged much in life, it's hard not to have bad thoughts or to be tempted and have to say no to many things. It's hard not to have your own way. You know that old hymn we used to sing? I, and when I say that, I know that, that, no, they probably don't know that old hymn. But some of you don't know that old hymn. There's an old hymn in the hymn book, things people used to hold up and sing from. Uh, <laughs> In a land far, far away. Don't get me. That's only for our laughter. It's not to condemn not using a hymn book. But in one of those old hymns, Far, Far Away, there's a song entitled, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. And there should be a page to turn in on the back. So, but I like my way better, Lord. I like my way better. You know, because we love to flip the page. We love to be obedient in, in the things that are good and easy for us. But in some things, we just kind of say, Lord, let's do that later. Let's work on that sin later. Or how about we just make a deal? Let's make a deal, God. I'll come to heaven, and you'll bring me there, and I'll do my best to do most of the things I you want me to do and not too many of the things you don't like me to do, but let's don't be really particular about it all uh, because there might be a few things I might have decided you were wrong about. Hmm. Man, I wish I had a pocket Jesus. 
If I had a pocket Jesus, did you ever watch I Dream of Jeannie years ago when that was supposed to be a cute show? I know, I know I'm showing my age, but if you didn't watch it, that's all right. Go back and watch the reruns. What you needed is when you're in trouble, if you own the genie's bottle, was throw the bottle and the genie popped out and she gave you whatever it was you needed, right? If I had a pocket genie Jesus and somebody told me something that was really wrong, like, like you know, about their sin or something, I could just whip it out and Jesus could just poof and show up. Imagine what I could do on Sunday mornings. <laughs> you, you think that you're on a bargain with God about sin? Jesus, show up. Boom! He makes an appearance and you're all sanctified immediately. And the boom, he's gone again. And you say, Can we see that again? <laughs> and I said, Yep, boom. Jesus shows up and you're all sanctified again. You're like, Okay, we're believers. Next week you show up, what's the first thing that's going to happen? You're going to bring family and friends are going to show up and say, We want to see the genie Jesus. Make Jesus show up and we'll be sanctified too. I don't have a genie Jesus, not even for once. Can you imagine the size of the tithes if we just Jesus would make one appearance? Can you imagine how many people would sign up to volunteer in the church? Why, I'd have more volunteers than I could keep busy. Can you imagine how many people would spend hours praying, not moments, if just Jesus would make a personal appearance again? And he's going to, but he's just going to do it once. And the game's going to kind of be over when he shows up. That's the part that worries me. This story sets all of that up, and it says, original sin is real. We're all tempted, and we've all fallen. I've never yet met the person that has it. I've never yet met the Christian. Once or twice, I've met people that I thought were as sanctified as they can be, but even they make mistakes and errors in judgment that would be called sin eventually. But they didn't do it intentionally. They did it thinking they were doing the right thing. So when I look at this and I think about what this story we can pass on to people, it's one of it is to let you know that you can be saved from the penalty of sin. That's why Jesus came to kill the snake, so to speak. It's the best part of the movie that Mel Gibson did is when Jesus stomped on the head of the snake right before he went out to be crucified. I loved that scene. A lot of people go, what, what was that? Well, that's the fulfillment of Genesis, killing that snake. The penalty for sin has been paid in the past. It is salvific in the present and on into the future and into the everlasting of everlastings. My sin has been forgiven even before I commit it, though my life still has places where it needs to be more like Jesus. That's sin. Some of it's human sin. Some of it's willfulness. It's a jar of grapes when nobody's around. That's why I made myself write it in my food journal. It's the first time I had to do it. Shucks. Sally doesn't know unless you tell her. <laughs> and that would be a shame. That would be your sin, see? Because <laughs> some of you are thinking about it. You're thinking, it'll be good for Doug for me to tell Sally. Yeah, right. When we do sin, this story helps too. When someone comes to you and they've done something that they knew they shouldn't have done, or even when they've done something that they weren't aware of was sin, it happens too. We can say, you know, once there was a story 
about a garden and a tree that humankind were supposed to leave alone. And first the woman and then the man both willfully did something that they weren't supposed to do. And God forgave them. And God will forgive you just the same way. He made skins to cover them. It's the first act of grace really recorded by many. And in the, even in Scripture, unless you consider the act of creation as grace. But the first thing that God did for humankind in a graceful way was to give them something to cover their nakedness, even as he was exiting them out of the garden. We as a church need to tell that story that we are ready to forgive people's sin for whatever reason they've committed, and then we need to make their feeling of being out of the garden better so that they can find relationship again with the one who saves them and continues to save them. We need to use this story so people can understand we all sin. We all make mistakes. We all are willful. We all are tempted. We all are deceived at one time or another. None of us is perfect. That's why I stood at the graveside of my friend, though I knew he hadn't done all he could do, and I said, he'll be in heaven. I expect to meet him. But oh, how much more he could have accomplished had he allowed the work of salvation to be completed, not just in the final sense, but in the present sense as well. God is saving you now. Because you said yes once, did not clear it all up. See example 75, 76, 77 in your life. And turn to whatever page in your life you need to. We need saving constantly, and that is the uniqueness of the Wesleyan theology. As John Wesley understood that though Jesus died once for our sin and we are saved in a past tense, in a sense, we are also continuing to be open to be saved in the future sense and in the present tense as well because we are humans. When we fail to recognize that, we lose touch with our culture and with others who are not in the church, and we look like a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. I don't want to be a judgmental hypocrite. Instead, I want to tell them a story and say, I understand. Not particular sin is not something I've done yet, but I've done many things wrong in my life that I had to ask God's forgiveness for, and I can assure you God is ready to forgive you and renew your sense of relationship. It'll be as if you're in the garden again as you are saved from that past era and given a new sense of being continually saved day by day by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in that story, we don't need to blame others. That's just, it makes a funny joke, and I've got sermons about that, but I didn't want to preach that sermon today. I wasn't led to do that. I wanted to tell the story so that you could tell the story so that others would know what you know, that the work of salvation goes on. I think I'll just close with this as we get ready to sing our last song. I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord. Maybe it's fresh. Maybe you have been just recently bowed before the Father and had your sins forgiven and you feel the power and strength from that and you're feeling really strong and that's great. Or maybe it's been a while since you've got out of your Christian rut. Maybe you've been doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you'll get a different result and you haven't maybe your Christian life has been stunted 
because you are not receiving all that God means when he says be saved. Maybe you need to come clean today at this place. Just you and God. Say, I want to feel it again. I want to feel what I felt when I was 14 or 10 or 12 or 16 or 33, whenever it was that you made that first claim to receive the grace of God and felt that awesome presence of God so near to you. Maybe you need to feel that again. It's okay because, you see, we all need to feel it. Feel it over and over and over again. And it needs to be new over and over and over again as we open up more of ourselves to more of God's grace. Do you need to make some kind of response to God today? If you do, I invite you to come as we pray. Find your place as we sing at the chancel rail. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you've never understood it. I'll be glad to explain it to you and open the door for you into the very presence of Christ. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you become a part of this one. All you have to do is respond as we stand and continue our worship together, singing our closing song.